In the name of God, the Creator, the Redeemer, and Giver of Life. Amen. There hasn't been the best communication between the vicars tonight. There were two Gospels set, and uh, the one that's read was John's Gospel, but the one I've prepared the sermon on is Mark's Gospel, so we're going to get a flavour of both Gospels this evening. Mark's Gospel is considered to be the earliest account, and it begins stating the time when the Sabbath was passed, which means Sunday. Very early on the first day of the week, it says, which means Sunday around 4 a.m. Three women go straight to the tomb. They are named Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. The story has some unexpected details and mysterious notes. They came to anoint the body with spices. Well, that's perfectly normal and customary. The spices will help take away the smell and make it easier for everybody and treat the body with respect. But unusually, but this was happening unusually late, being two nights and a day later to anoint the body. Perhaps this is because of the Sabbath, but we don't really know if that was the law at that point. Who would roll away the stone for us from the door? They say. The stone was later stated to be very large. They saw it. It was huge and heavy. It's a wee bit odd that this wasn't planned beforehand. A mysterious young man appears inside the tomb on the right side. He is dressed in a white robe and he's considered to be an angel. Do not be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. This is the Annunciation of the, of the Resurrection to the three women by an angel, just like an angel annunciated the birth of Jesus to Mary. However, they are alive. Their feeling is a feeling of awe and agitation. It is all so unexpected. The stone rolled away the mysterious spiritual being, announcement of the resurrection, which means that they were hearing that a dead person had come alive. All this was unexpected and very astonishing. And then they were told to go and speak to the disciples and to Peter. Tell them he is going ahead of them to Galilee. It says the women fled from the tomb because terror and amazement had seized them. They were so afraid, they said nothing to anyone, it says. So, to summarize, he is not there where you would expect him to be after he had died. An angel appears. 
There's a statement about life beyond the grave. A direction to go and tell others. And they are terrified and awestruck. But they do eventually pass on the message we learn from the other Gospels. It's mysterious. It's difficult to understand for a modern mind in particular. It was told by ancient people with a less scientific approach to history than we have today. There are many views of this within the church. Some see it literally. Some think something mysterious happened that was really important but don't know how to define it. And some see it as symbol only. All of these perspectives are different perspectives within the church. There is no right way to look at this. The interesting thing is that this resurrection was absolutely central to the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts. The thing they say in each of the sermons is they talk about the resurrection. I think we are better not to try and define it. And that is why we have this amazing service, which is actually four services in one. It is our way of trying to share a community expression of the story that can accommodate all our views through symbol and through ritual. The Easter Vigil Eucharist consists of the service of light, the liturgy of the word, the blessing of the baptismal water and the renewal of baptismal vows and tonight we have two baptisms as well. And finally, the first Eucharist of Easter. It's the service of light that gathers our different views. Powerful uses of images. The light is out in the church as we experience it. A fire is lit and blessed outside the church. The paschal candle is prepared. And we say, Christ, yesterday and today, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, all time belongs to him and all the ages. To him be glory and power through every age and forever. Amen. You cannot say more than that. Five grains of incense are inserted into the paschal candle. The candle was then lit in the new fire. The paschal candle was then processed through the church. And the priest sends the light of Christ, Lumen Christi. And we all reply, thanks be to God, Deo gratis. Everyone lights their candle from the Easter candle and continues in procession until the whole church is alight. Light drives away the darkness. Hope drives out despair. The Paschal candle symbolizes Christ, the light of the world. It's an agreed way we can tell the story together. And finally, the exalted is sung, as Jean sung it so beautifully for us. The great Easter proclamation, 
the beautiful hymn. It's possibly as early as the 5th century because it's a reference by St. Augustine to it, leading us into the liturgy of the Word. The rest of the service is pretty straightforward. The liturgy of the Word is about a recitation of the Christian Whakapapa. It starts with creation, that God created in the beginning. Again, it's a story of ancient people, it's not necessarily a literal story. But it's an affirmation that God creates. And all our understanding of God and our theology begins there. And then it takes us through the great Exodus story of deliverance out of slavery. It's a foretaste of what Easter is going to mean to us. People bound up in suffering and finding freedom from oppression, coming through the Dead Sea waters. Maybe it was all of Israel, maybe it was a tribe that joined the Confederacy or the Commonwealth of Israel. And that was the story that was adopted, we don't know. And then there's Isaiah's talk about the covenant. And Ezekiel's talk about a new heart and a new life. The great prophets pointed to the sorts of things that we experience as Christians, or that's the way we see it in the Christian church. And then we go on to the reading from Romans as part of Christ's body. We actually are crucified and raised with him. That is the story. We identify with all of this. And then, of course, we get the Gospel, which I thought was going to be Mark, but turned out to be John. So we get the richness of both. Then there's the blessing of the baptismal water and the renewal of the baptismal vows. This is Easter Day, when the first baptisms took place in the early church. And there was such a long period of preparation. The people being baptized today and tomorrow get it easy by comparison to what we had to go through in the early church. Many, many months of preparation. And finally, the first Eucharist of Easter. We have shared the story that began in despair and ended in hope. It has expressed the great Easter maxim that out of death comes life. It is both individual and collective. So we know the religious story, but what's important is that we can apply the story in all our lives for all of the years. So I want to give some collective and some individual examples that we might think of this metaphor of death and resurrection, of despair leading to hope. If you had been a Protestant or a Catholic in Northern Ireland, you could be forgiven for many decades of thinking that there was no hope at all, that there was utter despair, nothing but people being gunned down and and the whole province wrecked. And yet 20 
36 years ago on Germany stood south. There was the Good Friday Agreement in April 1995 was struck. And it was followed by the British Irish Agreement in December 1999, when both countries had gone through a plebiscite and agreed to carry out the Good Friday Agreement. And so hope emerged out of despair. And for those Christians who'd suffered all of those experiences and the terrible things that had occurred, it was like coming from death to life. It was part of this death to resurrection cycle. The struggle for women's rights can be seen in the same way. It seemed hopeless years ago, but we slowly see, of course, it's not achieved yet, but we slowly see rights being recognized. Huge changes in who leads this country and who leads the businesses and the boards in this country. And the rights and the issues that women have that come to the fore much more than they used to. This is from death to life. Likewise, decolonization and the rights of Maori and Pacifica people, disabled rights, housing rights, sexual orientation rights. All of these, they seemed hopeless at so many times and still sometimes do. But what this Easter story tells us is to live in hope. But this also happens with individual relationships. Relationships we have, sometimes with our partners, sometimes with our children, sometimes with other members of our families or our best friends. They become hopeless. We lose the way. We get into conflict. They also can be resurrected in new hope. They might not remain in the same structure that they were. But hope can come. And the Easter story is about always looking for that hope. People get into dark places of depression and we can assure them and support them that there is hope out of this. People may have personal failures, all of us do, and we let others down and we feel desperate that we've done it again. And it seems like we can't stop doing that. Well, there is hope. That's what the resurrection story tells us. And we have personal hurts when we're treated badly. And we can think it's just not worth going on. But the Easter story tells us that hope comes out of despair. Easter is about the movement from despair to hope. Jesus identified with all who suffer by undergoing the most grotesque torture you can imagine. He is and always will be where the pain is helping bring new life and resilience and hope to people. And that is the great story of Easter. This metaphor of the cycle from death to life, from despair to hope, from defeat to resilience, is the primary Christian metaphor. We celebrate it today. We are called to live it every day.